today and over the next two Sundays, the entire church is on the same sheet. We're discussing the same subject. And uh, I hope you don't take it the wrong way. I hope it's a blessing for you uh, to um, hear what we have to say about the subject of giving. When you speak about that subject, especially if you're a visitor here, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I knew it. That's all those people talk about. <laughs> well, our concept of giving is, all, uh, is broader than just um, the giving of financial resources. We're really talking about a full and total giving of oneself and all that one has to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think you'll find this to be um, ho- helpful. Our pastor is addressing the subject, and every iConnect class beginning today and next week, the week after, is uh, doing the same thing, including our, our children. And then we're going to follow it up with a wonderful, wonderful initiative called The Next 50, spearheaded, uh, not only involving, but spearheaded by uh, younger people in our church, some of whom have really gotten a burden to encourage their peers to uh, experience the joy of giving. You heard from one a few weeks ago, Sam Kreitz. And uh, that's going to be happening when we finish this three-week period. You've been told about it. Everyone can participate in it. And uh, it, it's to encourage people, again, to, to, to join the team, so to speak, and dedicate all things to the Lord Jesus. So uh, our mission statement as a church, perhaps you're familiar with it. Uh, if so, say it with me. It is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching it's wonderful. In just an economy of words, we've captured what we're here for. That's what we're here for. And how do we do it? Uh, we have some strategies by which to do it, and they involve being a worshiping community, a connecting community, a learning community, a praying community, a serving community, and a giving community. And that's the core value that we're going to discuss Uh, today and over the next two weeks. Now, to do this, uh, today we're looking at a passage of Scripture, and this is a great thing. Everyone in all the Bible studies in the church uh, have been studying today this very passage of Scripture. We're all doing this together, and you're familiar with it. It's Mark chapter 12, so I'll give you a chance to turn there. So as you can see, we're departing for a, uh, a little while from Deuteronomy, but don't worry. It'll be there waiting for us, and we'll get back to it. This is a great passage, however, Mark chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 38, and if I use this phrase, I'll bet you uh, are familiar with it and will know what you're getting into, the widow's might. Have you heard about that? How do you spell might? Oh, good. We have a church split. Way to go. In this case, we're talking about the M-I-T-E might, not the M-I-G-H-T might. Not her strength, but this specific um, coinage that she dedicated to the Lord, known as the widow's might. You'll see more about it as we take a look at the text, Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Are you ready there? Everyone found it? You should be familiar, my Gentile friends. It's in the New Testament. (laughs) There you go. Uh, So Mark 12, verse 38. And in his teaching, who is that a reference to? Yeah, that's the Lord Jesus. And in his teaching, he was saying, now before we get to what he's saying, let me tell you when he said it. It's during a week we now refer to as the Passion Week. 
It comes from a Latin term, passio, meaning suffering. This is the Lord's last week on earth. He anticipated it. He knew what was before him. He was about to be crucified, an excruciating means of capital punishment. He's going to be murdered on trumped-up charges. Even before that happens, he'll be whipped to the point of death. He'll be stripped naked. He'll be mocked. Uh, he'll be scorned. And then he'll be bloodied. He'll bleed. And then he'll suffocate. Uh, he sees it coming. And what is he doing in preparation for it? <laughs> He's teaching. He is just redeeming every single moment, even his lasts, to impart truth to those who were, who were his most intimate Followers, Folks, I must tell you, when it comes to the whole discipline of giving, there is no way we can compete with the Lord Jesus. There's no way we could ever outgive him. One might say that giving is to be like Jesus. He came to give himself uh, without reservation, um, unconditionally, undeservedly for us. And even here now, um, he's, he's giving every la last bit of his energy. He's devoting himself to the teaching of his followers. And he says to them, beware of the scribes. What do you know about the scribes? Who are they? Anybody know? Yeah, they were te teachers, legalists. They were experts in the law. Uh, not of the land. They were experts in the law of Moses. They, knew every they would copy it even painstakingly to, to make copies for others. And, and they would, have you heard the expression, every jot and tittle? These are the little fine points of notation in the Hebrew alphabet. The scribes made sure that they accurately copied every jot and tittle. They were the Jewish, part of the Jewish religious establishment. They were priests, they were scribes. They were religious people. And the Lord says, watch out for them. That's very interesting that the Lord would say, watch out for religious people. You know, many people today think religious people, you know, are good people. If you're, if you're a religious person, particularly if you're part of the clergy, you're a religious leader. You know, people would think you, you're trustworthy, your motives are good. And so <laughs> the Lord's saying, no, watch out for them. Beware uh, of them. Uh, uh, they like to walk around in long robes. Now, what's that all about? So here's the deal. Part of their clerical garment was a long robe, uh, and it would easily distinguish them from the crowd. If you were uh, in Walmart and saw one of these guys, you would know, wow, he's something else. Uh, he's not me. I'm not him. He's got something going on that I don't got going on. He may be closer to God than I am. You know, that's a guy who's a cut above. That was the purpose of the robe, and that's why they loved wearing them. I mean, you'd be wearing your jeans. He'd be wearing his robes. He'd be bedecked in his clerical garments. And that immediately, you don't know the heart of the man, you don't know his motives, but that immediately would distinguish himself. And, and, and the Lord is saying, you know, they like that. They really, really like it. So here's the deal. When you're walking in a robe, you, don't, you can't walk too fast. Did you know that? Try it on. We're, we're, we're a long thing. You just can't go anywhere in haste. Not only that. <clears throat> If something dropped to the ground and you're in a robe, it's going to be really hard for you to pick it up. That's why rich people dress this way. Rich people were in no rush. I'm rich. I got it together. And I don't do manual labor. 
If I drop something, you pick it up for me. And the scribes love that. I'm just acting like a rich person. I'm not like you. I'm a cut above, not only in terms of the fact that I got my clergy credentials, but also I've come into wealth. <laughs> I'm not going to stoop down. I, I dropped my pen. Can you? Hey, that's what you do. See, they like the robes. Now, uh, the law required, brother, let me go on here if you don't mind. The law required that they uh, uh, wear these robes in the uh, doing of their religious duties. The scribes chose to wear them all the time, however. At a ball game, taking out the garbage. Why? Don't you want a day off when, you, when you're dressing down? No. Because if you dress down, you, you fit in. And that was the point. They, didn't, they wanted to call attention to themselves. Now, look, I'm not being unduly critical of uh, clerical garments. I mean, you can see people even today, religious leaders sometimes, oh, my goodness, bedecked in religious finery. Sometimes big, beautiful hats, you know. I need one of those. It makes you look like eight feet tall. <laughs> got the hats going on and got things hanging around the neck and you got the long this and you got the, I mean, wow. I don't know if they're special, but, man, they look it. And uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. However, there may not be anything right about it either. And the Lord is saying, don't, don't judge the book by its cover. It may be a dirty book. The cover looks cool, but the contents may not be so hot. And so he's saying, watch out. These people like these long robes. Not only that, they like respectful greetings in the marketplace. Yeah, but so do I. So do you. You know, you come upon one another. Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Have a good day. What's wrong with that? Ah, that's not what they were after. These are the kinds of greetings they typically received and enjoyed. You come upon one in the courtyard, maybe at the temple. You see one, and you say to that person, Oh, revered master, I bid you a good day. Or most venerated rabbi, and you'd stoop, you know, you get down here a little bit. Oh, most venerated rabbi. Or you might say, oh, exalted teacher, stuff like that. They loved it. You know, I came in today, people said, Hey, Stuart, what's going on? <laughs> I didn't get one exalted anything. You know what I'm saying? Would it kill you once in a while? Oh, venerated little Jewish guy. Something. It wouldn't hurt you. I get, hey, Stuart, what's shaking? Okay, cool. But anyway, they love this. I mean, they just love that stuff. Not only that, verse 39. They love the chief seats in the synagogues. Not, a, not everybody sat in the same place. Synagogues then, now, had an elevated platform. Common folks sat. Where you common folk are. And the big shot sat on the platform. They loved that. They'd get up there on the platform with their robes. They'd sit down, you know, looking stern or who knows what. You know, it would be near impossible for the worshiper out there to focus on the one to be worshipped because you'd be so distracted by the guy sitting up on the platform. You know, this is not a big deal to me, but I'm so glad our church doesn't have seats on the platform that we're supposed to sit in. Now, there's some logic to it. I got it. You know, you got a couple seats on the platform. One's for the preacher. One's for the music leader or, we, or worship leader or whatever we call them today. Or I like to refer to them as prima donnas. No. no that's not. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, they sit up there. I mean, that's kind of a good deal because then it's easy for the preacher to get up and go over to the pulpit or the worship leader to get up there. I got all that. 
But, uh, but apart from the fact that it's logistically maybe convenient, wow. <laughs> Micah, that was like the cutest sneeze. Did you hear that? In the history of the... My, that was beautiful. Like a little pussycat. Like that. You know what I mean? I was in executive staff meeting the other day, and one of the guys sneezed. It was like, you'd think the walls were going to come. <laughs> Micah, I just... Oh, that was like, oh, venerated sneezer. That was... Yeah. That's cute. Cute. Sneeze. Yeah. I have no idea what, where we are. Oh, yeah. Oh, so the scene. So I'm glad we don't do that. And I'll tell you what. Um, I mean, you sit up there. To me, it's just not the right image. It's a symbol. Uh, a better symbol is all of us sit there. Stand in worship, look forward and up to the head of the church, not to the subordinates. We so say we all worship together. To me, it's just a better image. Not only that, have you ever seen churches, you know, they got the big high back seats and the leaders of the church sit up there and then, oh my goodness, on one day, one of the leaders is wearing two different colored socks. You ever see that? <laughs> I mean, man, it just ruins it for me. I just cannot concentrate on anything else. Or, you know, or they're wearing suits that are like three sizes. You know, they don't fit anymore. They get put on way too much weight. You know, this is what's going through my mind. You know, this is, I shouldn't tell you this, it's a true story. But in a church I pastored years ago, the music leader, we had seats up there. He sat up there. He had zipped his tie in his zipper. See, the thing about the tie, the, the outside part's supposed to be slightly longer than the, the thin part on it. You cover it up. Well, man, it was like three feet way too long. And he's zipped in his zipper, and he sits down there, you know, and he gets up, he's leading the world. You know, it was a little distracting, <laughs> personally. Felt. So I'm glad we sit down there with everybody else. And, but no, not these guys. These guys, these guys wouldn't have it. You know, do you have my seat? They love not only the chief seats in the synagogue, they love the places of honor at banquets. So it didn't even have to be like a synagogue time. It could be a wedding. And the chief seats, the power positions, would be to the right and left of center. Oh, you do not occupy those. That's for these people. Well, they just loved it. Now the Lord is, this is his last week, and he's warning his disciples. He said, don't live that lifestyle. Why? Why do you think? You have any thoughts? It is idolatry, Mike. But it's not worshiping the true God, is it? That's good. What else? What else does the Lord have against this life? What did you say? Amy, nice to see you, kiddo. What did you say again? Pride. Pride. Amy has it right. That's the big deal. That's the underlying issue. They wanted to call attention to... Now, folks, I don't want to be too hard on them. That's all of us. You know what's really addicting? People's approval. <gasps> People, that's addicting. You get, you get high, you almost get high on it. People's favor, popularity, that stuff. We all suffer from it. The Lord says, no. You know what he says you ought to seek for? A life so dedicated to me um, that you do things for an audience of one. You pray to me and for me. You give to me and for me. You serve as if it's just me. Oh, you need encouragement from others. But that's not the fuel that causes you to run. It's me. You do this for me. 
Folks, giving is not a mandated obligatory thing. This is how one of the ways we romance God. We open up our heart and we say, I love you and I'm grateful to you and want to give back to you a portion of what you've given to me. That's not a have to, it's a, it's a want to. We're concerned that too many of the people in our church haven't discovered the joy of giving. How else do you romance God who has everything? He's made it so easy for us. He's just taking, then give me a portion of your time. Give me a portion of your gifts. Give me a portion of what I have given to you in total. All of your material wealth, give it to my glory. Do that. So anyway, um, the Lord objects to this. Um, people who are doing religious things for people's favor, praise, recognition, and all, and, and, and all the rest. So verse 40, he says, furthermore, of them, they are the ones who devour widows' houses. So I'll tell you what it's all about. A, a woman's husband dies. She sadly enters into this exclusive sorority of widowhood that nobody volunteers for. She's crushed. And she's really needy. There was no social security system, pension plan, or welfare in that day. No such thing. She's alone. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. She looks through. She's a little concerned about who. Oh, it's, uh, it's her local religious leader. She recognizes him. I mean, he's got his long robe on. She opens the door, and he comes in. <clears throat> he offers his condolences, and so on. It says, your husband's not here. We would like to help you to manage your finances in his absence. So the scribe, in essence, becomes her estate planner. Let's, let's help you with your real estate and your capital and other ways. And don't forget, the support of the temple is very important, of which we are a part. You know, people like me are dependent on people like you for my upkeep. And the Lord says, they devour widows' houses. They move in when she's most vulnerable and consume her wealth. That's what he says. The Lord says that. They were consultants all of a sudden in estate planning. And the Lord says, and for appearances' sake, they offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. This doesn't mean you shouldn't pray at length. It's the motive involved. Their motive was to get people to give them attention, to pray and with eloquence and drama and theatrics. And I'll never forget this. One of my relatives passed away years ago and uh, other relatives unsaved essentially hired one of our rabbis and to do the service. <laughs> he didn't even know the deceased. But when he got up there, man, he was just going, tears and drama, and beating his breast and so on. I thought, what the heck? <clears throat> Nothing wrong with praying long, but sometimes religiously, you know, every once in a while you see funerals of big shots like politicians, you know, like state funerals, big cathedrals somewhere, Washington, D.C. or somewhere. The clergy are up there all bedecked in their religious finery. And one guy gets up there and says, uh, let us pray. 
that kind of deal. His voice up here is entirely different than his voice down there. See what I mean? Let us, let us, let us pray to Almighty God. G-A-W-D. All of a sudden. Let us pray for God. And then what amazes me is he's reading his prayer. He's reading it. I mean, it's eloquent in the moment. It's oratorically uh, inspiring. And then I feel like saying, good night. I just ride around in my Honda Civic and say, Father, um, I uh, don't want to go to church today. Or something. I'm just talking to Abba. And I think, I don't know. I don't want to judge the guy. But I'm thinking, maybe you impressed me with all the outward stuff. I got you. But do you ever have, like, private, personal conversations with an approachable God who's your Abba Father? Do you ever just charge into the throne room of grace, crawl up on his lap, and just say, Daddy, I'm hurting, I'm needy, I'm this? I mean, I... Well, these guys were, they were eloquent, dramatic in their prayers, and the Lord says, you know what? They'll receive greater condemnation. It's a fraud. It's a be impressed with me kind of a... Everything was for appearances, folks. We talk about the matter of giving. It's not a matter of how much, because big givers can be given for the giving for the wrong reason. God got it. Big givers can be giving for pride or arrogance or one-upsmanship. You know what I mean? I'm going to have the building named after me. I'm going to have a plaque put up. Everybody knows about. Come on, that's not. That's not. That doesn't impress God at all. So here's what he did now. Here's what the Lord Jesus did. Verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury. So, so this implies he moved his physical position. He wasn't always here. I'll tell you where he was during the previous teaching. He was in something called the portico of Solomon. We know where it is today in the temple precincts. You can go to Israel and it could be pointed out. It was an open air preaching place. It was a porch open on one side, itinerant rabbis, preachers, teachers would go there and teach and their followers would come. The teacher would stand or sit, followers around them, and you'd hear. And the Lord Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, taught there. And the apostle did. Apostles did almost daily. But he moves his position from there. And now it says he sat down opposite the treasury. Now, I'll tell you where the treasury was. It's closer in the precincts of the temple. Temple was a building surrounded by courtyards. He moved from the porches, kind of a perimeter around the temple courtyards, and he moves to the treasury. It's in a court known as the court of the women. Very interesting. The treasury was located in the court of the women. I'm not making any snide remarks about women and money and spending. I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you. Yeah, without doubt, my dear sister, of course. <laughs> so here's the thing. Why is it called the court of the women? Uh, it doesn't mean only women could go there. No, no, no. It means women couldn't go beyond there. So you have the holy of holies, uh, representing the presence of God, Ark of the Covenant, restricted. Only the high priest could enter in once a year. Others could get closer to it. However, not the women and not Gentiles. Sorry, folks. Those were the old days. In fact, they had something called the court of the Gentiles. Doesn't mean only Gentiles could go there, but that's as far as the Gentiles could go. So here in the court of the women is the treasury. The Lord takes his seat there in the court of the women, and he's observing. He has been teaching, but now he's observing. You know, that may get you nervous. He watches. He sees everything. Can I tell you something? 
if you're okay with God, that doesn't bother you at all. In fact, you're thrilled that he's observing everything about you. You, you just feel like this is great. I'm sometimes lonely, but I'm never alone. My father is always watching. You're thrilled about that. You, you know everything you encounter, he's concerned about because he's concerned about you. But if you're not right with God, his gaze, his constant gaze freaks you out. Can I tell you something even on the verge of freaking you out? He sees how you're handling your finances. He sees everything. Don't want to get you unduly nervous, but let's state what it is. He sees everything. He sees how you handle your time and material resources and all the rest. So, he, so he's there and he's, and he's watching. Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> there were 13 receptacles around the perimeter of the court of the women from the treasury. And they were shaped like trumpets. The Hebrew word being shofar or shofarim, plural. Have you ever seen them like a, ram, a ram's horn? You know, you blow them, to, you know, curled kind of a thing. But these were made of bronze, big. 13, and each had a label, and that was the fund in the temple for which your offering would go. One might be marked wood. Wood? Yeah, you need the wood fund. Thousands of sacrifices. You got to stoke up the fire. You need wood. Another one might say oil. To keep the uh, temple lights going, you, ha- you need olive oil. Another might just say general temple fund. That would be the equivalent of general budget. And that's a person who's saying, you know, I don't, I don't care where you use it, just use it. So there's 13 of these things all around. And the, and the Lord sits down here, and, and it says, he began observing. Now, check out your verse real carefully, verse 41. And began observing. My translation says, how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. Uh, does yours say, and began observing how much? They put into the treasury. Anyone have that? How much? Good. You better not. Because that's not in there. He's not observing how much they're giving. Because that's not his big concern. He's looking at the how, not the how much. How meaning the attitude or motive behind their giving. Well, now how could he see that? I don't know if you knew this. He's God. (laughs) He could see. He's looking at the how of giving. Even a big giver may be giving with the wrong how. He's looking to the how. What's the motive of giving? So here I'm going to get off on something which may offend some or many. Um, But I think it's true. Even if you're offended, could you please ask yourself the question, but is it true? If I'm wrong, then you better rebuke me. But if it's right, even though it may be offensive to you, then, you know, sit on it for a while before you go after me. Uh, So here's what I'm saying in a Baptist church. I do not believe the tithe is taught in the New Testament and ought to be practiced by believers today. It's so uncomfortable in here. Hang in there. If you search your scriptures, get a concordance and look up the word tithe or tither or tithing in the New Testament, it's mentioned. Look at the context. Never, ever in a positive way. 
never as being commanded anymore. It always used, was used as uh, something to criticize, in fact, the religious leaders. The Lord said, you tithe, <laughs> but you rob people of other things. Those are the only contexts. If I'm wrong, you got my email address. Some of you know where I live. <laughs> if I'm right, and you say, but I never heard that before, but I don't care. <laughs> it, maybe you didn't hear right things before. I, I mean, look at me. As a Jewish guy, I've had to give up a lot of my traditions. You Baptist people can stretch a little bit too. It wouldn't kill you. So here's the deal. It's not a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept, meaning it's part of the law of Moses. When was the tithe commanded? Listen, when Israel's government was called a theocracy, not a democracy as is ours. Theocracy, God is the head, priests, temple, that was the government. The Old Testament uses the phrase tithes and offerings. Have you heard that? Tithes and offerings. The tithe was mandatory. The tithe was mandatory. You didn't get any points with anyone for paying your tithe. It went to support the then government, priests, temple, sacrificial system, tithes. Above and beyond it was something called free will offering. That's what people give, gave as they were able out of grateful hearts. What's the equivalent for us today? Something called tax and offering. Look at here. It's tax season. That's why we're all depressed. It's tax season. Our tax goes to support the government, just like their tithe went to support the government. Our tax is mandatory. You don't get a thank you note from the IRS for paying. Nobody's ever got, oh, thank you so much for your timely and generous response. You don't get that. I'll tell you what you get. You get dragged into jail if you don't pay your tax. It's mandatory. Tax and offering. But the offering that we ought to render is above and beyond that. That's given freely. And the only New Testament measure of it is give with a what kind of heart? It's a heart matter, a joyous heart. It's not a statutory percentage. Not only that, if you think you're a biblical tither by giving 10%, you are missing it. It's more like 30%, 30%. Why? Because three 10% tithes were required in ancient Israel. You think I'm a good Baptist biblical tithe or I give my 10%? Are you kidding me? That's only one-third of biblical tithing. You know what's interesting? Many of us are in the same kind of tax bracket as was the Old Testament. Many of us are in that 25% to 30% tax bracket. Isn't that interesting? That's what they were in long ago. So if you want to really be a biblical tither, you got to up the stakes to 30%. Now, I'll tell you, I don't think uh, choosing as a measure 10% as, uh, to motivate you to give is a wrong thing. Don't misunderstand. It's just not a required thing. And I'll tell you what the trouble uh, is uh, about people thinking the tithe is required. I'll tell you what it does. Well, let me give you an illustration. I, I have a wife to whom I've been married. And every year her birthday comes up. To whom I've been married for, I should finish the sentence, <laughs> uh, 36 years or something like that. Every year she has a birthday or we have an anniversary. Uh, 
couple years ago, I got her a birthday present she really liked. So what if I, from that point on, just give her the same thing every year? I mean, that's easy on me, right? You don't have to think about it. Just give it to her. If I pulled that off, I give it to her. She'd probably, if she was in a good mood, she'd probably say, oh, thank you. This is lovely. But she doesn't mean it. What she really means is, you know, I don't really care so much about the gift and the valuation of the gift. I would have appreciated it if you spent some time thinking about what might please me this year. See, it's romance. And that's how God is. So we do our 10% automatic thing. It might even be check to bank, you know, 10% off the top. And we're done with the whole giving thing. No, you're missing the whole point. It's romancing God. I can almost hear God saying, look, I appreciate the 10%. Thank you so much. But what I'm really looking for is not for a percentage. I wish you would regularly think, oh, God, how could I show you my love and trust? What could I do? I think God would rather have us regularly reflect on and examine our giving instead of making it mechanical, obligatory, and statutory. That's the trouble with a rigid percentage. And there's another problem. And by the way, when I taught this in a church I pastored in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, one of the deacons came to me and said, Pastor, that teaching is going to undermine our church. To which I said, maybe. But if that's the case, people are not given from the right motive and maybe the church ought to fail. But not only did it not undermine the church, we had a $4.2 million budget every year. That was the deal. It exceeded. The giving exceeded the budget every year. And I'll tell you why. If you think tithing is the only thing that pleases God, 10%, there are certain times in your life you can't muster 10%. Just the way it is. You can't do it. So you feel like if I can't give 10%, I'm already a failure in God's eyes. I already let him down. I might as well give nothing. And that's what happens. Totally unbiblical. God's not looking at the how much. He's looking at the how. So one says, oh, God, you know me. I love you. And as you enable me, I want to give more. But right now, this is what I can give. Even if it's short of 10%. Our uh, uh, church leadership has reviewed things over the last few weeks and months. And uh, it has been uh, revealed that about 50% of our membership, I didn't say visitors, membership, don't give to the church they're members of. 50%. Wow. Nobody's mad. (laughs) Disappointed. Yeah, I think you're robbing God. But you're really robbing you. There's no romance. He gave an inexpressible gift. How in the world can you say thank you? God said, I'll give you away. Give a portion back to me. It's not the how much, it's the how. If you cut yourself off from that, that means you have no avenue by which you can express your gratitude to Almighty God. And when you do that, your heart gets cold to the romance. You're robbing yourself, don't you see? It's not about money. We are not in the midst of a fundraising campaign, lest you think we are. We are not. We're in the midst of a campaign whereby we get more who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are members of this church 
to be totally involved in our vision of being living proof of a loving God to a watching world by exercising those six disciplines that we rehearsed earlier on, one of which is giving. We want 100% representation of our team members with regard to the mission and vision of the church. Half are not, th- half are not there yet. I think some are not there because of what I just said. I can't muster 10%. Or I don't have the uh, faith yet to give that much. But let me tell you, it's not a rebuke to you. I got you. I got you. Uh, have you ever been uh, in a foreign country for an extended period of time where you're, you have no re- choice but to eat the food there? And initially you say, oh, my goodness. I don't, I don't have the taste buds for it. But you've got no choice. And you keep eating it. And over time, you develop a taste for it. It's very interesting. That's how it is with spiritual disciplines. Uh, you may not have an appetite, a faith appetite, to give um, a substantial amount. That's not the deal. When you start giving, don't worry about percentage. 25 cents something, a good God will increase your appetite for giving. Those of you who are givers have seen this happen. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I didn't much like, I didn't get anything out of it, tell you the truth. But then after a while, it's quite interesting. I develop an appetite, even a hunger for it. I remember when I started praying. Praying to who? I don't see God. I don't hear him. What's up? But then when I started to see answers to my prayer, oh, my goodness, it encouraged my appetite for prayer. You understand? You start giving. You just get in the flow, and God will increase your appetite for it. But if you're not even in the flow, well, you're just going to stay that way. So we encourage you, get in the process of giving. How much? No, 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 no. It's not the how much. It's the how. And so the Lord is observing the how of the multitude putting in money into the treasury. And, and it says, many rich people were putting in large sums. Hmm. Many rich people were putting in, they were putting in large sums. Think about it. They were putting in coins, lots of them, and big coins. Do you know how much noise that would make? Remember what they're putting them into. Bronze trumpet-shaped receptacles. You know, imagine these Jewish rich people taking their piggy bank. Oh, piggy banks is probably not the right. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. But anyway, they're dumping whatever they had into the... And it's making like a racket. It's making like a racket. It's racket. And, and they liked it. Everyone hears. Everyone sees. Everyone's impressed. But not the Lord. But I'll tell you, he was impressed with verse 42. A woman described as a poor widow. All widows were needy. This one was really specifically designated as being poor. She's a poor widow. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a cent. She approached one of the receptacles, just like everyone did. She deposited her two small copper coins. In Greek, they're called lepta, or singular lepton, which means a thin one. Widow's mite. You can go to Israel today and purchase a widow's mite as a souvenir. They're plentiful. They're all over the place. They don't cost much. People make necklaces at them and all that kind of stuff. It's a very thin, small coin. You've got to hang on it with two. You can almost... You know, if it drops, you're not going to find it again for another 2,000 years or something like that. So it's called a thin one. You know what it amounted to? One sixty-fourth 
of a laborer's daily wage. Have you heard of the coinage denarius, Roman coin? This was one sixty-fourth of a denarius, and you would get one denarius for every day's work. That's, that's what it was. It came to be called mite, M-I-T-E, widow's mite. Not from Greek, not from Hebrew. It's not a biblical term. It's an old English term. It just came up, you know, centuries ago, old English stuff. They called it a widow's mite. The word meaning a crumb or a very small morsel. Even though it doesn't flow from the Bible, it's okay. It's not inconsistent with it. The point is it's just a tiny little small thing. It's a widow's mite. That's what is a crumb. It's a small morsel. When she put her widow's mite into the receptacle, what kind of noise did it make? Are you kidding me? You could hardly hear it. All the rich, not only the rich people, some of them would have been scribes. Speculation here. I'll bet you some of those scribes were the very ones who devoured this widow's money. <laughs> They're coming and dumping in their stuff, some of which was hers. All she has left was these two widows. She's dumping her thin ones in here. Nobody could hear it. She called no attention to her. But the Lord heard. You know what he heard? Her tiny clink. And he is yours too. This idea of I can't give this much, I can't give. Come on. The Lord has given you the privilege and responsibility of giving something. Why? Where your material stuff is, there your heart will be also. Now, my heart's not there, and neither is yours. Our heart's in really ungodly places. God gave me a really good way for my heart to get in a good place. He said, it'll, it, it'll follow the trail of your money. Isn't that easy? So it's not about the amount. You just put your money in great commission, God-glorifying efforts, boom, and your money is going to drag your heart there eventually. That's what happens. And, and, and so God observed what she, what she was doing here, even though even though it was just a tiny clink. He hears the tiny clink of your time. Oh, I don't have that much time. Give some time. Well, no, I'm not that gifted. Is somebody else. Use what you have. He hears the tiny clink of whatever resources you have. It's not the how much time. It's not the how much in terms of gifting. It's not the how much in terms of money. It's the how. It's the how. It's the how. What's the attitude? What's, what's the motive? So the widow goes about and does this kind of thing. This is what the Lord did next, verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Why? Well, see, they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Wait a second. (laughs) How did he know that? He's God. He sees all. He knows all. That's how he knew that. You see, she put in all. So I want to ask you this question. Is that the norm for us? Does this mean all that you have financially has to be given to the Lord's work? No. What then are we to emulate, glean from this? Giving is sacrifice. That's what we get out of it. This lady sacrificed. It isn't real true giving unless it costs something. <laughs> I mean, if you give to something as opposed to Starbucks coffee, it costs you something. 
It isn't real giving <laughs> unless it costs something. That's one principle to emulate. The other one is this. Uh, this lady believed everything belongs to God. That's true. Not everything we have has to be given away, but everything we have belongs to God in the sense that he has made us stewards of it, stewards of it. So he wants us to use the money he has enabled us to have for various reasons. I'll tell you what they are. If we are able to work, not everybody is, and we ought to care for members of society who can. So let's not be cruel here. But for those of us who are able, by God's grace, to work, we're healthy enough, we're young enough, we got a job. Here's how he wants us to use the money, in my opinion. Some of it is to be used to pay your bills. Isn't that a novel idea? Why is that? Well, if you get super spiritual on us and you say, I'm giving everything away, then who's paying your light bill? Somebody else is. So while you're going off being super spiritual, you just obligated me to carry the load. I found this when I made out my tax return. I figured out I must be paying somebody else's bills. Somebody's not contributing to the system because this, my government is really requiring a lot of me. I'm paying for somebody's light bills. So before you go off and say I'm giving all that I have, you, by the way, you ought to do that if God so leads, and he does in certain cases, and then he'll take care of everything. But if it's just, again, another prideful thing, then be careful because you're obligating the rest of us to pick up your tab. There's nothing unholy about paying your bills. That's one of the reasons why God gave you money. There's a second reason he gave it, it seems to me. You could save some of it. There's nothing ungodly if you're able to save some for, as they say, a rainy day or, I don't know, kids' college fund or in case the car breaks down. There's absolutely nothing ungodly. That's just financial stewardship. There's another reason why God gives you money. It's perfectly acceptable to use it to recreate, to rest to do something that recharges the battery. A vacation is not an ungodly thing to do if you're able to. A, uh, if you're into movies, going to a movie from time to time, you got to be careful. But, but this is okay. You know, subscribing to a, I don't know, magazine thing that you like to read or buying a novel, I don't know, or buying, you know, cool coffee, foo-foo coffee for $19 a cup, whatever it is. I mean, it, it's not unbiblical. It may be stupid, but it's not unbiblical. <laughs> so, 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 the, so these are good. And then the other thing God wants us to do with our money is to give a portion back. Give a portion. So I don't think what this lady did is normative, but it does exemplify or, uh, or give us three things we ought to emulate as reasons for giving. One, uh, it's an expression of thanksgiving for the Lord's inexpressible gift to us. What did Jesus hold back? Inexpressible gift. No strings attached, by the way. Giving is an expression of thank. How do you say say thank you? You want to say thank you. Well, we have a way. It's easy. Give a portion of what God has given us. Oh, God, I appreciate the inexpressible gift of your blood-bought salvation from me. What a price you paid to redeem me. I just want to say thank you by giving a portion to causes that glorify you. So that's one thing we should uh, think about when we give. It's an expression of thanksgiving 
Two, it's an acknowledgement that all we have is from God. It's a rhetorical question. What do you have right now as you sit here? What do you have that you didn't receive? How about this? Inhale. Where'd you get that? I mean, the fundamental necessities, essentials of life are receivable gifts. <laughs> what, what do we have? Therefore, to lay hold of it, exercise ownership of it is absolutely irrational. Stewardship of it is one thing. Ownership of it, cling to it, that's the wrong thing. So, so, so when we give, it's acknowledgement. Oh, God, everything I have is from you. As I give back a portion of it, I'm reminded. So we give to show thanksgiving. We give as an acknowledgement that all we have belongs to God. And thirdly, we give to show and increase our trust in God to meet our needs. So you give. You say, oh, I'd like to give this month, this week. But, you know, i got to buy four new tires. You mean you're right. It's a reality. And there's always going to be that reality. But then finally you get to today and you say, God, I want to give something to you. I think you're trustworthy. Oh, God, please demonstrate to me that my confidence placed in you to provide is not misplaced. Oh, God, I need my faith to grow. So you, by faith, <laughs> you give away a portion of what you have that you could have used for something else. And then you see God come through inexplicably. You don't know how, but somehow he provides. And then what you do, you say, oh, God, now I can trust you even more. This is what you're cutting yourself off from if you're not regularly giving. You can't grow in faith. Your faith walk is retarded. It's retarded growth. That's what I meant. You become disabled, spiritually disabled, because you're not giving your father a chance to, to show you, I will give you each day your daily bread. Trust me. Trust me. You see, what we're after here is not money. It's hearts surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. If half of our people don't trust him enough to do that through giving, we're failing as a church. Our goal is not money. Our goal is 100% devoted, dedicated disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the disciplines that a disciple engages in is regular giving as God enables and so leads. We're not raising money. Our pastor uses the distinction. He says, uh, we don't raise money. <laughs> uh, we ask God to lower money <laughs> down to us if we're worthy of it. I love it. We're not raising money. We want to raise up disciples. The root word means discipline. If you've not engaged in the discipline of a regular giving program, we invite you to. We want that 50% uh, figure to be narrowed down. <laughs> we want 100% membership, praying, worshiping, connecting, learning, serving, and giving as God enables. Perfectly private, perfectly personal, perfectly between you and Almighty God. Just engage in the process. Daniel.
So Daniel's question, if you didn't hear, if people give electronically, as Daniel and his wife, happy birthday, does, do, um, you know, uh, they budget for it, and it's electronically processed. It happens each month. And Daniel's question, as I insinuated, is this mindless giving which displeases God because it's not from the heart? No way, brother. Remember, it's the how. And the mere fact that you raise the question tells me I'm not God, but it just tells me, oh, no, your heart is right. You and your wife have thought through this. You want to do the right thing. You've engaged in reflective uh, thought and prayer about your giving program. Absolutely not. That's convenient. That's a discipline. It's a budgetary thing right off the top. Absolutely right. I'm just talking about the person who doesn't have your heart involvement, who just thinks, you know, I signed the, uh, the check, I'm done. Oh, no. God wants your heart. Yeah, so good question. Thank you. Yes, sir. What a great... What a testimony. What a testimony. Yes, it is. And uh, thank you for sharing because it's uh, very encouraging and exhilarating to find out our Father can be trusted. Well done. And yes, our pastor's seminar... Uh, has borne uh, so much fruit like that. It's going to take place again. <laughs> I even have the date. There's no fly-by-night operation, friend. We, so here's, we have something called the Next 50, which is coming up, where young people, as I told you, are taking the initiative, 50 families uh, committing to give 50% of their income, 50 families under the age of 50 committing to give 50% of their income for 50 days. It's called the next 50. But there, don't get tied into the, oh, I'm older than 50, I'm out of here. Uh, no, no, no. We need people to pray, encourage, and provide for them food and things during this time. It's called the next 50. Lots of information is going to be coming out and it has already been coming out. Anyway, it'll involve seven, part of it will involve getting together Friday nights for seven weeks leading up to the celebration of our church's 50th anniversary. And we start this uh, April the 22nd, that's week one of Friday night. Anyway, during one of those Friday nights, we've asked Brother John to do that seminar, and he will. I, I, I don't have, it's scheduled right now for week six, which would be May 27th. However, we may have to change the week because one of our other participants 
may not be able to do it on his week. But during that 50 days, we've asked the pastor for the uh, very good reasons you expressed to repeat it because a lot of our people haven't had the benefit of hearing from him, and he's the master of debt-free living, joyous giving, and trusting God. No question about that. So thank you for sharing. And Anyway, that'll, that'll happen then. Anybody else have anything here besides hunger? Yes, <laughs> Daniel. Uh, so Daniel's question, does the synagogue ever give to the poor? Yes. I left that part out. Uh, Jews are known to be very philanthropic, big givers. They take care of their own. Uh, they give to many, many humanitarian philanthropic causes. Absolutely. Is the motive pure? No. Nobody's is. Uh, it's a way, oftentimes, of establishing self-righteousness rather than submitting to the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true of a lot of religions and religious people, by the way, not just my peeps. <laughs> yes, Mike. Yes, sir. Yes. Similar. Very, very similar. And all religions uh, have in common. Well, you go home, read Romans 10, verses 1 to 4. You'll see what I mean. All religions uh, are seeking uh, to establish uh, one's own righteousness so you don't have to. That means being right with God. So you don't have to be right with God by submitting to the Lord Jesus. You can establish your own righteousness by doing good deeds. All religions have that in common. I'm not nullifying the good deeds, but the purpose of them is not so good. Refusing to subject themselves to the righteousness of God, they, uh, they fail to submit uh, to his righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And when people want to reject Christ as the only way to be right with God, then they'll establish their own by wearing long robes and, you know, all kinds of religious stuff and giving and this and that. It's a way of buying, buying favor with God, but you can't. You can't. We don't have enough in the bank <laughs> to be right with God in our own resources. It takes the inexpressible gift of his son, Jesus. All right, well, why don't we stop here and get out early and... Uh, and uh, where are you going for lunch? Anyone going anywhere? Yeah. You going, is it expensive? You going to expensive places? Come on here. Cut back a little bit. I'm kidding. The next two weeks, we'll be dealing with other passages of Scripture along the same theme, and our pastor is going to continue to preach on the uh, subject, and uh, I hope you benefit from it. Lord Jesus, we benefit every day and on into eternity from your giving spirit. You withheld nothing from us. Uh, and the Bible says, how then will you not also with your gift give us all things? If you gave us the most, your life, how will you not give us all the rest that we need to be sustained in this life on our way to heaven? Would you put it within us to trust you more? And yes, to put you to the test, to see, are you trustworthy? Will you provide for us even when we give away some of what you've given us? Oh, God in heaven, we pray that 100% of our membership would truly be on board in all respects, including giving. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. See you next time.